It's Monday night and a brand new episode of Graphic Policy Radio, which mixes geekdom and politics. The show for folks whose political convention season begins with the State of the Union. Tonight we've got a show dedicated to one of the many comic uh, comics-turned-television shows on the air right now, Agent Carter, which is aired three episodes and actually has a skip week this week to the State of the Union. Uh, and joining us is... Uh, a guest who we've had on many, many times, uh, Scott Eric Kaufman, who is the proprietary uh, proprietor of the AV Club's Internet Film School and an associate editor at the Raw Store. He also writes for Lawyers, Guns, and Money podcast and an expert on the Game of Thrones, and also is Alana, my much brighter co-host. How are y'all doing? Oh, hello. <laughs> Here. I'm so excited to be talking about this show with you guys. Um, I think Agent Carter is the best live-action show on television. Really? I mean, I say this as someone who primarily watches cartoons, but I think this is the best live-action show on television, and I'm just so excited that we're having this opportunity to talk about it, and especially with our guest, Scott Eric Hoffman, who is a professor of visual rhetoric. So I look forward to being able to drag out some of the... Uh, knowledge I gained during the inordinately large amount of time in my college I spent studying film noir um, and uh, talking about this show and genre and gender and some things. So, Oh, man, I'm going to have to delete about half of my notes real quick to make you not hate me, but um, okay, <laughs> uh, I'm ready to go. Oh, no, no, I've got a critique of stuff, but anyway, um, but I do love the show. Do you, do you, are, are you guys fans of the show as well? I, I, okay, I'll go first because I'm going to be way quicker and less intelligent to whatever Scott says. Uh, I, I've enjoyed it. I, the the first episode had some issues when it came to acting, uh, but that really was my only issue with it. I thought some people were just kind of like cheesing it up with the 40s accents and stuff like that. Um, and it's just, uh, you know, it wasn't even in that. But other than that, like, I love the show. I, I, I like the themes, the the small little nods that they've got going on with uh, sexism in that time, um, how they're kind of building it. Um, I think it's kind of the complete antithesis to Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. as far as uh, pacing uh, goes. So I, I, to all of that, I think it's fascinating. Um, and I'll, I'll shut up now. Well, I, so, I agree Scott. with you there in terms of, well, in terms of the, the, the difference in pacing, because... And, you know, I've been reading interviews with, with the showrunners, actually, one of whom is married to the other in the interview interview thing that I that I read. Uh, it was it was a very odd interview. Um, but they actually said, yes, you know, having a finite number of episodes makes pacing a real issue. And so this is paced much differently than Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Um, that said, I just rewatched uh, the, both the first and, and, and halfway through the second season of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., and Here's my biggest complaint about Agent Carter, and I'll just put it out there at the beginning. It, it's it's poorly timed in when they're showing it because it's a minor piece of Marvel history at this point. After the mid-season finale of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., where they basically blew open the doors, connected Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. not just to the Inhumans, but to the Guardians of the Galaxy sector of the universe, they just did this huge expansion of the of the Marvel Cinematic Universe on as it exists on television. This feels like a very minor story. Now it, it, it might get bigger. I mean, we've only seen three episodes and, and in this case I've 
actually only seen three episodes. I have no like foreknowledge of what's to come, unlike other shows that I've appeared on with y'all. Um, <laughs> I, I I don't know anymore, but this just seems like the stakes are so low. And it bothers me because I think it could stand out very well in, as an independent show if they just put it on a, as they're doing with the others, put it as a six-part miniseries on Netflix. That would huh. be fantastic. Well, well I mean, but, they needed a certain kind of production budget to be able to do the period work, so I feel like it had to be done this way for that reason, or else it wouldn't look good. Um, well, it would look just... Here, I don't think it looks good, though. That's the thing. Like, And maybe I'm spoiled by Gotham, but Gotham is going for the same film noir feeling, and Agent Carter just looks flat, comparatively speaking, and so, I could talk about well, one, the Gotham lighting. Gotham is a different and the, period. Gotham is the it's, 70s, 90s. Well, yeah, but it's the... I mean, film noir was sort of redefined in the 70s with stuff like Chinatown, right? Um, mm-hmm. where, you, where you got to have these sort of lush oranges, these sort of like deeply kind of well-lit scenes where you got to see all these gradients of, of, from from yellow at the edge of, of of where the light is all the way to the orange at the incandescent bulb. And, and that's sort of what our modern film noir is. This seems to be towing the line between trying to look like a black and white film noir but almost like a bad wash colorized version of it. Like they should have, yeah. And like they should have gone with 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 the look of something like the Coen Brothers' The Hudsucker Proxy, which looks like a Capra film. I mean, it, it has that, that 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 sort of flatness, and and but at the same time, it has that rich Coen Brothers kind of quality to 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 you know the blocking and 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 and, and the lighting, and it, it's just it, it's weird to me because it seems like why is Marvel like. D- DC is obviously going full tilt with Gotham. They're giving them, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars to just fucking light these sets. I mean, seriously, the, the the downtown police office, right, in Gotham, lighting that whole thing in the, the way that they have in the series so far is probably two-thirds of every episode's budget. <clears throat> but... Why isn't Marvel contributing that much to something like this? And I, I wonder if they're not stretching themselves too thin with, you know, the Daredevil and, and the Alias and, and all the other series they have going on. Well, they might I, be doing that. But, I'm, you know, but the thing is, like, well, one, I, this show doesn't consistently have one look. Like, that's the thing. So, like, they're... Everybody, I thought there would be more people talking about the film, I'm sorry, the series in terms of genre that I actually have seen but much, but, like, there are elements of film noir style that are applied here, but it's not consistent throughout the entire piece, um, and the color saturation changes. But none of this bothers me. I think it's a, a choice. I mean, I don't think it's, like, a mistake. Um, you know, I think her world is is not always the same thing. Um she goes into espionage, and then she goes into, like, her office life. She goes into her home in these domestic spaces. She goes into the girls' boarding house. Like, I think it has a lot of different worlds that it exists in. And um, I think it's not consistently a particular style. Well, I'd be fine with that I, if, there were, if there were sort of a sort of consistent 
kind of lighting for each, or, or a consistent look to each different world. But I haven't, I haven't seen it. I, I mean, basically, I, I, I see sort of like with each episode an ambitious director with a limited budget. Um, well, but with, what is consistent you, though is like, in spite of like the style, in spite of like what we might see about the lighting style, like changing, is the art direction, costuming is all really strong. Period, um, and that was not compromised on, um, and that's why the style. I feel like the stylistic changes between like having some noir scenes and then having scenes that are a lot more like a standard lighting for a TV show, but, like, well-lit as opposed to most high-quality TV show, I should say, <laughs> rather than standard TV, um, doesn't bother me. Um, and I, I, I just think that there's different, like, looks and, and feels within the, within the show itself. Um, and when they are really laying on the film noir stuff more heavily, it's, you know, it, it, it's when it makes sense, like when the show is being its most genre-y. Um you know, I mean, the color saturation isn't even always the same. Like, I was just rewatching the beginning of the series and um, the scene where she's wearing the red fedora and walking across that crowd of men. Like, everything is like, super saturated all the way well, until no, she actually gets... The first episode sorry, off... I, yeah, no, in the first episode is, is, I think, they clearly invested in a lot of... And and I, I was talking to Brett about this right before we went on air, and I said that, you know, the third episode was much more in my head because I just rewatched it uh, I don't know what ten minutes ago, um, hmm. or just finished rewatching it. And the the third episode definitely looked the cheapest. The first episode felt like uh, a pilot that they'd invested a lot of money in. The second episode, I could I could see that it was the same ethos in terms of direction, but they didn't have the budget. Um, and it's sort of a shame because Shield has the budget consistently. Um, and okay, I will. I will say that hypothetically speaking, I'm pretty sure Daredevil has the budget, at least for well, the first yeah. two episodes. Um, so I really don't know anything Netflix about deal. what the show has for budget. I really don't know like how much money they have to spend. That's not something I really study. If they don't have a ton, I'm going to assume it's because they're sexist. Like that's just what I'm going to say. <laughs> that they think that the audience is sexist. If that if if, if if the show does not adequately fund it, I think that's the only conclusion we can draw. When it comes to um, the style, have have either of you seen the movie Iron Sky? Like Which the movie? cheesy, the Iron Sky. It's a cheesy movie about Nazis on the moon. Oh, the Andrew yeah. Lee. Yeah, I yeah, love that. Yeah, the the look of it kind of reminds me of that for some reason. Like every time it's the, the at least the first two episodes. With some of the lighting um, and the setups, it style-wise, it seemed very familiar of that. And Iron Sky was that noir science fiction movie on a budget. Um, and it was, but I mean, it was also totally washed as well. Um, yeah. yeah. So, oh, I know. I, I'm sorry. I know that movie. Yeah, I think it was a different <laughs> treatment of the film quality, but yeah, it, like, I mean, I'm happy Carter's to see... like higher quality of it, but for some reason, the look remind me of that. Very similar. Mm-hmm. I'm happy to see a show that's investing in costumes and styling and being accurate in those ways and in using appropriate music. Um, I It's like taking that, that, those pieces seriously and addressing crazy when they're not. <laughs> um, 
I mean, we're, okay, and I'll just, I'll go total, like, film TV snob and say, maybe it's just trying to do too hard to do too, too many different things that other shows do better. Because mm-hmm. in terms of, in terms of, you know, verisimilitude, it is trying to be like Mad Men. And they're doing a great job of that. But it, it's sort of like, you're doing a great job, but, but you're coming right after something that did it, you know, so well that you're going to almost necessarily fail in comparison. Um, well, I mean, but it's like a slightly different time period. I think if it was a similar time period, that would be a real problem. But I think it's distant enough that it, it doesn't even feel that way to me. Like, even though, like, this is sort of like microaggressions, the miniseries, like, it, it doesn't have... It doesn't feel derivative of, of Mad Men to me, and I don't feel like it's competing with it at all. Oh, I no, mean, I don't. I, I, I didn't mean to say it was derivative or, or competing, just to, to kind of, you know, address what you were saying about trying to get the, the period right. We've just seen something that, that got the period, you know, so right, and, I, and I'll add an asterisk there, obviously. It's, it's the the films of the period, so so right, you know, the way that they kind of make yeah. Douglas Sirk and such, not actually, you know, nailing the period itself. Because Mad Men is obviously a very problematic show on its own, but, you know, it's just that I wish they had gone full tilt in for the hyper-stylized, um, you know, go the way the cartoons, and, and I, I'm sure you'll appreciate this, go the way of the cartoons where if, if they're going to be doing a sort of 40s, 50s version of something, just go all in and do the sort of bad accents, do the good bad accents, do the, mm-hmm. you know, put her in a fedora that that doesn't fit and is always, like, flopping on her head. Like, just go all in. Well, that was the hat. Ha- style, though. Women's had a different form than men's. But sorry. Yeah, no, I see what you're saying. I, I think that um, I would certainly have enjoyed it if it was entirely consistently highly stylized in those ways. I don't know if that's something that a TV audience would know how to, to process. And it doesn't bother me that it shifts because it's consistently shifting between what world she's operating in. But I also think that, like, um, with, 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 with it being... Even as a stylist, it's still shot for television. Like, it's just full of medium shots all the damn time. You know, I think that they're trying to keep – I'm not wrong, right? Like, I think they're oh, trying no, no. to I, I, I was I was laughing because my job here is done. I can, you know, you don't need to invite me okay. back on anymore. <laughs> it's just, okay. Yes. You're um, absolutely so, right. So, you know, which is to me is like that's, that's, that's television. So, um I think that they're trying to, like, keep it formally similar to some things that the sort of broadcast network TV audience is going to be used to. Um, and, and, rather and than being right, like, oh, this is, like, avant-garde or weird, or I don't know how to process this, or whatever. Well, but it strikes me as a weird decision from this production studio because Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., you know, in the last four or five episodes of, of, of this half season have gone totally to medium long shots and long shots um, and, and, and close-ups. And close-ups, television either loves or hates close-ups, depending on the director. Either everything will be a close-up and you get a soap opera or nothing will be because you don't want to put the makeup and do the lighting for the close-ups. And, uh, wow, I mean, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. just with 
in, in particular those last few moments of the of, of the se- uh, mid-season finale. I hate demarcating things like this, but of the mid-season finale when Sky realizes who she is and and uh, what's his name? Trip. Trip. Is that his name? Yeah. 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 Trip. yeah. Okay. Uh, Trip. You know. Uh, turns to stone and and you know does what does better in two seconds than what Pompey did in eight bombastic hours. Uh, you know, like just they went cinematic, and 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 that's sort of I guess what I'm saying with with why is why is Agent Carter going small? They're not trying to tell a small story. You can tell that because no. I don't think there's any story involving a Stark that's going to be a small story. Um. But, but what? But why go small unless they? And and actually, I mean, I actually I haven't seen any of the episodes of Alias yet. Uh, the whatever Netflix is Netflix going to call it Alias? Um, no, they're no, not. It's, it's going to be a, Alias AKA Jessica, Jessica Jones, Jones, right? Yeah, AKA, AKA Jessica Jones. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, whatever it's going to be, I haven't I haven't seen any of those episodes yet. Uh, obviously, I don't even know the title, but um. <laughs> This this way of filming Agent Carter, I think, would work great for that, for that sort of small scale detective in a back room noirish feel, which is, I hope, what they're going to go to stage with the comic. Um, but Agent Carter just feels like it should be bigger and is being hamstrung by someone. And I'm sorry, I really am sorry. I feel like I'm raining on everyone's parade here because. Well, I mean, I'm not saying it's not. I just I expect that most television is. That's the nature of television. It's not like the work of like a singular visionary who has control over what gets made. Like I just I guess my expectations of like what TV can, is going to do is not you know like the TV so is really singular way. vision. I mean, TV is it's, it's like the '70s with the, all the auteurs. I mean, running around like I mean, TV really is now. It's about showrunners. You know, it's about Vince Gilligan and Matt, Matt Wiener and, and also some women probably. But this is for um, network television. This is for network television, which is, like, notoriously conservative and is probably scared that there's, about there being a female lead in the first place. Like, I I mean, I don't I, know. I did Maybe an I interview should... with Joss Whedon where he said he, he, he sort of demanded this story be told, and that seems very much in character with him and, I mean, obviously, he's not a showrunner for TV anymore. He's, you know, big movie star. But and he had the, wanted he, the cast of Marvel to be of Marvel Agents of Shield to be more diverse, and he was prevented from it. Like he, want, you know, I mean, they're not as in they're not in control in those ways. They're not bound to his will yet. I, I say, give him one more Avengers movie, and they will let him do whatever he wants. Black Panther this God, year. I hope so. I hope so. <laughs> I want um, Moon Knight. Moon Knight's the one I want. Moon can make it. I'm incapable of not calling him that, and it's a problem. But yeah, that would be an interesting show. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I, I'm really happy that there's a movie, that there's a show that is this enjoyable to watch, and I feel like it has a real opportunity to bring in people who don't read comics. Um, it. I've been selling it to all of my friends very heavily who like don't like comics, but this is something they need to watch too. Um, because it, it doesn't depend on that. Like, it has these, this light science fiction touch to it, and I love how stylized all the devices are. You know, the, the, all the fake tech is, like, designed perfectly for the time period and is gorgeous. Um, 
but that you can easily just as much watch it about this like interesting female protagonist and her adventures, her kicking ass and sexism and how she's like, you know, taking care of business and this like repartee between her and Jarvis. Like there's so many great things about it, you know. I think it's really easy to get non comic fans into the show. You know, just when you're talking about the stylized version of the tech, it just made me remember that at least one point of comparison with this would would be something like the latter seasons of Fringe, where they ended up going to alternate realities, which had different. I don't know if you watched it, but no, um, sorry, that sounds pretty cool. Yeah, but they had they there were alternate realities that had different versions of the technologies that, and they had in, they they were actually two different realities went to war with each other. Um, Fringe and everyone made fun of me when I said this, and then they went and watched it. And I put my best shows of the 2000 to 2010. I had Fringe and The Wire as one and one A, and mm. everyone thought I was fucking insane. But you get to those latter seasons of Fringe, uh, starting in the second season, where they're like, "Fuck it, we're canceled. We're going to just go full sci-fi," and they did. And then they kept getting uh-huh. renewed, and you almost kept feeling like they, they were saying every season, "Holy shit, they're going to let us do this again." All right, yeah, we'll reinvent yeah. it again. And, but they, they they had a lot of future tech that was very stylized to the 30s, uh, almost in sort of an Iron Sky kind of way. Um, that was and then, and that, and that was Fox again, though. Maybe Fox just has higher budgets for their their shows because Gotham is a box. And I'm just wondering if they just maybe have a higher. I all right. So uh, no, I'm an expert. I will not admit ignorance on the air. Um, well, I but, would uh, wonder. I would wonder the big thing is you're kind of hinting at it is how much investment ABC, Disney, Marvel has in Agent Carter, whereas Fox has clearly shelled out probably a good chunk of change for the Batman license. So they've got a lot. It's like the only prestige show. It's like the only prestige show Fox has, right? Uh, this kind of means they got some others, but I mean the. You know, my understanding is they they shelled out a good chunk of change to get the rights to it. Um, but I'm not watching right Gotham. Now. I watched I watched the preview of Gotham, and I intended to continue watching it, and I failed. <laughs> I am not going to watch it. Gotham's really started. good. Yeah, I, I would have to well, say the latter half of it, so it. Far. Yeah, basically yeah. when like, it's Agent Carter, like this is the first show in a long time where we like are making our plans different so that we will be home to watch it. Like that's new. That's not something we've done in a long time. So and that actually is awesome. I mean, that 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 does say a lot about the. You know, I don't, I don't want to say curve appeal. Um, the, cause the, but you see what I'm saying? Like the the getting the audience mm-hmm. there to the. Um, but yeah, Gotham has gotten really good. Constantine is incredible right now. Holy crap! Oh really? But, I'm behind um, on Constantine. I liked it, but I can't imagine Constantine catching up to this. Like I can't even imagine it in a million years. Like I, I don't even think it's on the same planet. I mean, I don't know. I mean, some of the things that I love about the show, I love. Uh, the, the actress is amazing, and I think most of the performances in it are actually really good. I was super excited to see Shia Wingham as the police chief, like from Bullrock Empire. I think he might be permanently cast as an asshole who works in law enforcement in a high uh, yeah. position. I, I, like, oh I, I, I really like Enver Gochi as a, uh, a kind of... Say, I mean, it, it's a nice character for, you know a disabled character on, on sort of a prime time 
And they, they mm-hmm. actually had that line in the last episode about, you know, who's going to trade in a red, white, and blue shield for an aluminum crutch, right? But, oh, like, yes. okay. I, I love Henry Goshi. I mean, he's, and oh I'm God, probably massacring his name, but uh, uh, I love yeah, him in Dollhouse, and um, he's great. But he does, guys. He's the guy, for our listeners who don't know, he's the actor who plays Susa. So when, when Krasminski says that to Susa, it's just that there's a clear moment of, one, it's lampshading, that there's a great chance that Peggy will end up with him. But two, it shows you what an asshat that Krasinski is, that he would say that to another person. And he is such a fucking straight man that he can't even tell that Suze is hot. Like, how apocalyptically straight do you have to be to miss that? Like, I don't even know. Like, apocalyptically like, straight, wow. That's like, you know, like, I think, I feel like if you were to, like, poll most men, like, is this guy who likes, who likes our sex to women? Is this guy attractive? Most people would be like, yeah. Like, I think you have to be pretty freaking blinded by, like, hatred of disability or, like, incapacity and actually looking at people to not get that he was hot. So I'm just like, oh, Krasinski. Um, yeah, I think Susa's great in the role. I love when she explains to him, like, his attempt to help her is not actually helping. <laughs> and I love that he's the guy who's probably going to catch her, and that's going to be the source of the conflict, really. Um, but, yeah, he's, you know, well, he's the I- other outsider in the office, right? Yeah, I was going to say, I think he already has caught her. I, and, um, again, only haven't seen three episodes, but I, I think he already basically has caught her. He's just, he seems to be playing dumb um, because he recognizes so. that. You don't think so yet? Uh, I, oh, I, think I, he, I think he will. I don't think he has. I think he will. I don't think he has. I think he knows something's up and is, is doesn't care because he wants to see her succeed. Yeah, and well, he also, he he knows she's more than... And in fact, it was that, that yeah. there was an, an exchange in the second episode between them. It was it was like four, you know, shots, reverse shots of, I'm looking at you, you're looking at me, I'm looking at you, you're looking at me. And it was right after they had had a conversation you know, with their superior about um, the Boardwalk Empire guy, about, well, yeah, you might have, you know, made googly eyes of Captain America and then, you know, made every, made everything like that work. And And just the way that she was looking with, like, her steel eyes made it clear that she was not engaged in googly eyes with Captain America, but that it was a real partnership. And he is yeah. the one who recognized that. Um, yes. But what was also interesting to me that I was looking at the camera angle there, I don't... The, 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 her coworkers wouldn't have, would not have necessarily... I don't know why these coworkers would have known that that's who she was looking at. No, I don't think. Oh, I, you know, yeah. Like the the, the 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 narrative of the show makes it that be the case, but like reality, like they, there's no way they would have known that that's what she was looking at. The angle of the folder was such that she could have been looking at anything. No, that's good. And I, I, and in fact, they they are they are being very intelligent with the way they're playing with camera angles in the show, and, and even in the way that you know when she's crawling under her desk and the way people are looking at where she should be, where she isn't, and um. They are actually. I always get to mention that that they're playing with eye lines a lot in this show, mm-hmm. which is something that's very reminiscent of, of Joss Whedon shows, um, or shows that he has any fingerprints on at all, or people who have worked under him, or um, to know him, or met him, watched anything he's ever. Done. Eye lines are very important, and and I was going to bring that up later. But yeah, you're you're right. Uh, I hadn't thought about it with that scene, but yeah. Um, there's no way they okay. All right, well I'm liking the show more now. Keep 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 going, keep going. You'll convince Yay. 
Um, so actually speaking of that stuff, like, yeah, that scene with her sneaking on the desk, hiding under the desk, it's such a great little suspense piece with the angles. And, and I would love to talk more about sight lines. Do you, well, I'd like to specifically bring that up in terms of the scene where she is hiding behind the pole, manipulate, trying to figure out how to get Jarvis out of the questioning room. Um, oh, that and- scene where she's coming around with a folder, picks up the folder, comes out the back, where she's hiding behind that baluster, like, which she could just barely fit behind, which if she was a guy, she probably couldn't fit behind. Um, it's such an interesting and well-crafted little bit. I don't know if you have any thoughts about that particular scene. Um, I, I didn't take notes, but I actually, I, I have that episode on my television right now, so I could just bring it up and come up with something brilliant to say about it right now. Um, <laughs> maybe. Or maybe I'll just give a book report about it. in this scene. <laughs> the um, uh, let me get to it. It's, it's like you doing live commentary. A more than halfway through the yeah. It, it's it's like what? Uh, oh yeah, we're 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 live tweeting now. Uh, I thought that was like uh-huh. 42 minutes into the episode, but apparently not because they're already down in the tunnel. So it must be closer to the beginning. Um, all right, here we go. Uh, Oh, and they have the two-way mirror, which is always fun, and they like to play with uh, uh, in terms of... Okay, so the as the scene begins, she's actually seated behind them uh, and behind um, Enver. Uh, and she actually can't see him. There's absolutely no way she can see him, even through the, uh, the glass, because her view is obstructed. And then the men have a conversation while her view is still obstructed, and she looks at the floor. And then the guy's in there with Jarvis with his feet on the table. Gadiata, no eyelines are changing. People are seated except for the guy from Boardwalk Empire. Uh, and, okay, this is actually really interesting. She's just listening. Um She's listening and looking at the floor the whole time, which is a... Okay, so... And then she stands up. Okay, um, can we talk about the film, the conversation? I mean, do you think most people who have listened to this would have would have seen the Gene Hackman, the press for a couple of films that he made in between Godfather and Godfather Part 1? You know, that lull he had, that, that short moment where he wasn't making brilliant shit in the 1970s? Um, mm-hmm. Do you think most people would... Be familiar with yeah. that? Sure, let's try Okay, that. well, okay, so Gene Hackman, in that film, it, it, he, he plays a, an operative who is constantly using a parabolic mic to listen in on people. I guess it wouldn't have been a parabolic mic back then, but he's constantly listening into people from, from a distance, and Coppola constantly puts him in, the, in these very, uh, how do I say, compromising positions. Like, he's lying down on a bed, like, uh, and this was like Gene Hackman, big manly man, right? In the early 70s. Um, mm-hmm. Not like the guy from the Royal Town of Um and, No. But he's constantly like lying on a... Wait, what? Well, that is why he works so well in that role. Well, yeah. yeah. Well, uh, he's... Continue, continue. I can't help myself. <laughs> okay, no, no, no it's, it's okay. Uh, but he's like, he's lying on a bed like a... And I don't mean this in any in, in, in any sort of like derogatory way, but, but like a teenage girl going over her tire. Uh-huh. So when he's spying on these people, you know, in, in these important situations, 
uh, Coppola is always sort of minimizing what he's doing, making it look like he's just the woman or just the hmm. girl. And just this is my quick take on this scene now that you called my attention to it. Um, the fact that she remains seated throughout the majority of the in- interrogation, she's on the wrong side of, of, of the, the one-way mirror. Um, she can't actually see what's going on. She can just listen. And all she's doing is sort of making eye contact with the floor and then she does this blank stare, and it's actually very. I'm looking at it right now. It's a very disturbing shot. If you if you want to play along, it's it it, it is exactly 20 minutes into the episode, according to my DVR. Um, she's looking blankly, not at the camera, but it's a close up. But she's looking uh, frame right, and just not giving us the time of day. And it's actually it it's. It's a really interesting because she's obviously realized something about Jarvis, and we don't have to worry about spoilers, but um, she's realized that Jarvis is, is, is hiding the, the information about why, in fact, he was branded a traitor and such. But um, it's an amazing scene because it's, it's sort of like uh, Donna Reed at, at the interrogation, I, you know, sort of taking, you know... Uh like I expect her to be in an apron sitting in the background pretending not to pay attention but listening the whole time if you know what I mean uh, which is it's sort of neat because Donna Reed uh, uh, since not everyone knows the whole history of the Donna Reed show right, Donna Reed was like the de facto executive producer de facto director of all those episodes so even though she was portraying this very servile woman on the screen she was in fact the mastermind behind her own depiction, and so hmm. there's this weird sort of tension. She's actually a much more interesting. She is complicit in the oppre- she is complicit in the oppression of women as part of her career. But yeah, I got it. Well, I, but she also had a real power in terms of how she depicted herself, um, which is the, yeah. you know, the flip side of being complicit in her own oppression. But this is a sort of similar thing. Like she faded into the background, and yet was the one who was in control of the whole situation, which is why she's able at this point, uh, if, if I were to go forward, to um, not only control the whole scene, but get Jarvis out of there and then end up in the sewer together. But, um, no, it, okay, that is really interestingly shot. Uh, however, I will say, though, the backlighting in the scene is awful. Um, <laughs> going back, mm-hmm. going back yeah. to the production values, like, they, they, all they're doing now is, is that they have, it should be three-point lighting, they obviously have something on her face and then something above her head, which makes her forehead shine, which I guess if that's what you're going for, maybe they want to make her look brainy. Uh, well, that is a, that's a heroin light, right, having it on her forehead. No, this is this is not something not I think right any director does on purpose. Sorry. If they, Yeah, this is just it, because it also casts, because of the, the position of the light, uh, it's probably like an 85-degree angle above her head. Uh, it, it it casts her chin in shadow, so her neck sort of disappears, so she looks like this sort of necklace, giant forehead I I I don't think there's any reason a director would do this on purpose. I guess Got it. A, what a, sorry. No, yeah, I'm not looking at that particular scene right now, so I'm, I'm going to have to go with you on that, but... I want to talk about a bit about character dynamics, too. Um, I think one of the things that people have really enjoyed in the show is her interaction with Jarvis, who's 
I think, played wonderfully. Um, anybody want to weigh in a bit about the chemistry there? Or uh, To me, I mean, Jarvis, uh, you know, obviously there's the great play of who Jarvis is in the comics and how they're kind of handling that in the in the show. Um, I mean, overall, to me, Jarvis kind of seemed like that rather doting, stereotypical butler. Like, he was an interesting character for me mm-hmm. until that third episode. Like, I liked the interaction, but he himself, I, I could care less about. Um, but it came to that third episode with just that really simple of, like, why he got brought up on charges that, for me, like, changed everything, where it was, like, a very... Uh, a line or two he gave, and I, I can't think of specifically what he said... But um, the line added so much depth to the character that wasn't there before. Um, uh-huh. Where I start, you know, I, I actually want to see what they do with him in the future, and hopefully they do something with him in the future that's interesting, um, as opposed to just kind of being Agent Carter's sidekick, which I feel well, like he I kind like of is now. I like the gender role reversal, though, between yeah. him and Carter in the second episode, where he was the the Dota, and, and I'll go back to the Donna Reed, right? He was the Donna Reed character in the second episode, right? No, my wife insists on having, you know, dinner on the table when when she gets home, and I have to, you know, I can't go out after 9 p.m. And, and, and so I, I sort of liked it. I found him interesting for that reason, the, the role mm-hmm. reversal. Um because you know there is always the sort of lingering sexism of the 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 butler scion relationship, both with you know Tony Stark and Jarvis, and and with you know mm-hmm. Bruce Wayne and Alfred. Um, but they really sort of just by introducing him as Agent Carter's second, for lack of a better word, right? They they did something interesting with with these kind of typical gender roles, and I I. I did. I did actually find him interesting before the third episode. I, I I agree with you. He became much more interesting, you know, when Nazis involved. He did, but um, his whole performance was so good that I just found him compelling before that. But yeah, that definitely. Oh, I think his made, his you performance know, gives him is fantastic. Yeah, his his performance is absolutely fantastic. Like, don't get me wrong on that. So here's the interesting thing, though. So everybody like likes the dynamic they have together. I think that finding out about his wife being Jewish complicates the Carter Jarvis chemistry because I feel like his wife exists at this as this voice off camera who is controlling him and demanding like what he does and is like inconveniencing his ability to go and do the important interesting things. Like his wife is sort of being how wives are generally portrayed in shows of this nature. Um and then when you hear about her being Jewish suddenly like and getting out of Hungary, it it's sort of like heroizes her and makes you want to cheer for her in spite of the fact that everything in the story so far would have made you be like, ugh, why is she in the way? I don't see I, I haven't got her I, I haven't got that she's in the way. I, I I've gotten that he's just he's just a, a a naturally servile person who's you know the stock comic book character of the servile person who's normally attached to a strong, charismatic, handsome, wealthy male figure. Mm-hmm. And yet here he's being tied to, to Agent Carter. Um, but yeah, well, no, you know, I, I to be able to get out of the house to hang out with Agent Carter. 
You know what I mean? I, I took that more as the, uh, just. It's funny what you guys are saying this, and I'm like, oh, maybe I really, really need to rewatch it because for all that, I took it as he's, you know, he's a servant. He has to be up early in the morning to deal with Stark shit, and that's just the way his life is, and that he goes to sleep early because he's got a boss who he has to take care of. No, see, he says dinner is at seven. Dinner is at seven. Is dinner with his wife. Uh, Benny Goodman is at eight. That's again him and his wife, and then going yeah. to bed is at nine. That's him and his wife. Right. I just took it as like so when I first heard, I, and I kind of I want to go back and watch it now to see how he actually delivers it again. Uh, when I first heard it, I took it as more of like he's just has a regimented life because he is a servant, and that's regimented his life person. and the way things. Yeah, and that's just uh-huh. the way it is. But now we have the whole. Jewish female thing introduced, and you know how they are. <laughs> yeah, no, it's... My grandmother's throwing things point. at me from the afterlife. Shut up, Betty. Yeah, <laughs> but she yeah. should. She should throw them harder. No, but that's exactly <laughs> the point, also. Like, I think that, um, you know, when, when you find out, like, that she has this origin story herself as well, I think it makes you be like, oh, okay, well, she's actually also a person, rather than just this off-camera, like, wah, 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 like, adults and peanuts, you know, that, like, wah, 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 wah voice. Because she's been entirely yeah. off the screen. And no, no, I no. Think I, she stays that way. I agree with you. I, I mean, part of, part of my my whole issue with this is the fact that I I mean I am Jewish grandson of survivors, uh, and I, I I like grew up around survivors, and and most of them were um, very brave, horrible people. Like, and I I I mean that in the best way possible. You know, obviously everyone is going to be writing about how many nights is so much tomorrow, but like. Oh, like the, the you know the survivors I knew who who, who taught me Hebrew and and they they were all the always unforgiving and and very orderly and and everything had to be in this particular way and and it's just the way I sort of associate with if you made it out of Europe as a Jew you made sure you controlled every fucking aspect of your life. When yeah, he, that's when that, he got out of there. That is actually true. And I mean, that's so definitely I, true of my I didn't see it as sort of a caricature of of a needy wife. As soon as they revealed she was Jewish, it sort of clicked in my head like, well, oh, of course dinner's at yes, eight. You see, that, that, you know. that's my point. That's my point. It's exactly. Like, that, that, that puts it in the context so that you like, like and respect her as opposed to her being like, oh, why is she all like that? No, I think that's and, why and I think it's important that the show But could also that just be the fact way. that he's a former military person and he's just really regimented? Well, yeah, it, it clearly. Could. I mean, I, I think, I think Jews might be reading. And I, okay, I won't speak for all the Jews on this phone call, but some Jews on this phone call might be reading too much into the, the sort of way that 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 that, that people who, who escape kind of respond to, you know, reintegrating into in, into normal life. But um, I, I mean, every single person I know who who actually got out of Europe was like that. They 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 became non-military related regimented because they wanted to be able to control every aspect of their life. I mean, that's why, I mean, for example, my great aunt died, you know, she controlled every aspect of her life, including, you know, stuffing every single item of furniture in her house with money such that, you know, never went to the bank, never, because she wanted all of it there just in case. Right. Yeah. You know, and that's a, that's a whole different kind of, I mean, that's almost like an ontological distrust of, you know, 
politics. Like, the existence of politics is impossible in a world after Auschwitz, you know? Mm -hmm. You know, I don't want to go, like, full Adorno or anything, but, I mean, you know, what... what, (laughs) You know, what can you imagine a world to be after the Holocaust? And and for a lot of people, they couldn't imagine it to be anything, and so they prepared the the worst. And and part of that preparation was this strict regimentation. Um, Wow, we've we've been talking for like 10 minutes about a character who who barely has appeared on screen except as a voice, I think, at this point. Um, are we reading too but much? There's a lot. There's a lot there. There's a lot there. I mean, I, I know that we probably are paying more attention to it than other people, but uh, whatever. Yeah, but oh, but speaking I don't, of ethnicity, I wanted to. Sorry, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, but I, I mean, to me, that's like out of you know, other than the misogyny, like that small sentence or him saying like what he did and why he got busted. Um, I I think is just an amazing example of how you can create such a huge backstory. And give so much information, so little. little. Like it, it it was beautifully done. And when I kind of heard that, I think like my jaw dropped. I was like, wow, that just opened up so much about the character and why he is the way he Mm -hmm. is. And Uh, how English is it that he doesn't even bother telling the police why? Because it's not their right to know. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like he doesn't owe them an explanation, so he doesn't even tell them like it was dropped. And by the way, I saved my wife. You're welcome. Which is like how I think most of us would respond to something like that if questioned. Um, you know, him, him not even standing up for himself in that way is sort of culturally specific, I think. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I, I completely agree. Oh, but I also want to talk about people's last names briefly. Um, you have the police chief. He's not the police chief, but he's like the fucking police chief is Irish. Okay. Johnson, who's the blonde guy who's an asshole. Like, there's less than Miss Johnson, so he's probably. Johnson or Thompson? Johnson. Johnson uh, is probably uh, British. Probably, right? I had to look up Sousa. The assumption that most people have would be with John Philip Sousa, like with brass band music. I feel like that's probably what the assumption is supposed to be there. But Sousa is also a Portuguese name. So I'll throw that out there as being sort of a. Absolutely, like, uh, ethnic minority in America. Like, that's not a huge population here until quite recently, in fact. And then Krasminski is Polish. And, of course, like, as per usual, like, they're assholes, you know, the Polish character. Like, that's far too common. But um, but I don't know. I feel like there's something interesting to be said about, like, post-war America and sort of, like, who are the who are the white people who are there? You know what I mean? Well, the Irish guy wouldn't... I mean, he would just have become white in post-war America, right? Um, mm-hmm. uh, Martinelli. Well, well, but I mean, because of you know the the relationship between the Irish and and, and different law enforcement agencies uh, that were not Italian. And are. Um, yeah. Um, the system would be interesting because he, he the system would have. And, and and I you know I I would need to like go back and do research to to make the point definitively, but I at that time I would really think Sousa would be you know sort of like if 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 your last name was Beyonce right, um, like last name not first name it, it just sort of it, there weren't that many 
well-known names, especially sort of American origin at that time. Um, Sousa would have mm-hmm. been one of them. Uh, that would have been a big flag, and, and I honestly think what that, that flag would have been would have... It, it would have alerted people that this was a fake name. Like, yes, I'm ah! going to choose the name Sousa, because I hear that guy is real popular in America. Right? I mean, that, that's oh, what that sounds like to me. Not, so you think he's a spy? You think it's make-believe and he's the spy? Or or just his parents went for the... Oh, for a name they thought. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it, it, it could be either, but it, it just—it seems like choosing a popular name, but not quite knowing how to use it. Um, right, right. No, like yeah, I, I and, totally and, get it. Like, yeah, I, I had a classmate who in, in school whose name was Maria, and her family's from India, and her family was like, I thought it was an American name, you know, like like that sort of like that sort of dynamic. I, I taught a Vietnamese. Um, uh, woman whose name was Dench because her mother had had studied in England and she thought that that was a a beautiful powerful name for her daughter to have. Oh, cool. Like, oh, well, yeah. Except that's you see, she kind of fundamental got it wrong. Like, yeah, she named her daughter that's pretty Dench. Cool. <laughs> that's pretty right? cool. And and oh, by the way, hi Dench. I'm going to tag you on this podcast on Facebook tomorrow so you can hear <laughs> me talking about you. Um, Sounds awesome. But, but no, I mean it ends up being an awesome thing, you know. Uh, mm-hmm. But you're right; I, I, that I could look. be that. That could, that could be a make-believe last name for multiple different reasons. Um, yeah. Oh, speaking of spies, what's the deal with the waitress? See, I think so many people are reading into it. I think it's just a a way for them to have her have some sort of relationship with someone on, like, a normal non-work level and have her attempt to have a friend, basically. Because without that character, there would be none other than, like, Jarvis. But even no then, that, no yeah, but even yeah. then, it would still be a work relationship. So I, I'm looking at it as just a way to kind of try to have her have a human relationship. But and there's so many people like I, I know at this point everyone either thinks right, right. Hey, she could be hydro for no, all I know. But that right. seems a little weird. You're completely right, Brett. <laughs> That's rational. But it's a yeah. mini <laughs> The other point, I, of course. Sorry, go ahead. Oh no, I was just gonna say I just don't think she's gonna be hydro because it's just, it would just be way too obvious and Agent Carter isn't that dumb. Like, it would, it would sort of what? go against the grain of the character. I don't think she mm. could be Hydra because Agent Carter isn't that dumb. She wouldn't accept the invitation to, to go to the Griffin building. Um, and, man, did you get, like, the, 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 the what, what's her name, Dolores Umbridge vibe from the, the woman who runs yeah. the Griffin building? I swear to God I was watching yeah. that episode of Harry Potter for about 10 seconds there. Right, now if you I go thought, to the yeah. other. Um, but. Oh. People who are listening, by the way, apparently some critics didn't realize that there were buildings like that, and that was real. So, okay, people, facts. True facts about New York. There were women-only apartment buildings where there were, like, matrons who ran shit, and men were not allowed above the first floor. Like, that was a thing. That's Wait, real. Wait, people thought and this a lot was of them a fake thing? into the 60s. They continued into the 60s. I'm sorry? Is it people actually thought this was a fake thing? They're like, oh, it's being overplayed. And I'm like... Well, it's real, but like, my aunt lived in one of those. They're real. I always thought it was pretty common for that time period. Yeah, totally. I guess some people 
I guess you just happen to know more about history than some cheesy critics. Weird. I didn't... Yeah. <laughs> okay, then. <laughs> that, that's but, an odd uh, for people to pick up pick out on. Uh, I, I know a lot of people are reading into the like the relationship, but I mean, my thing is, I, you know, if she was like a spy or Hydra or something else, like, think about what you'd have to do to like plant that person there to have, you know, get them to know Carter and all, like, to me, it just seems really convoluted where I, I'm really hoping it's just a simple, it's someone for her to be normal with. I mean, the one thing I would say to that is that Carter is the one person that Hydra definitely knows has a relationship to Captain America and the Super Soldier Project. That's, like, the one, mm-hmm. like, real connection that they have. Uh, so I could see them doing that, Investing you know, given what they've it. done on S.H.I.E.L.D. Um, and also, I've been watching The Americans, so, I, you know, and I just watched the episode where, where, where you know, the Soviets fucking freaked out after Reagan was shot by Hinckley. And, you know, the, when the Americans were like, no, 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 he was obsessed with Jodie Foster. The Russians were all like, fuck that, they're blaming us. Which one of us was it? Like, there, there's a sense where there are all these splintered little groups that might not know mm-hmm. which, what the other one is doing. And, and, and so I, I could actually see that as a plausible cover-all bases kind of setter-up in the, the restaurant they know Carter likes convince her to move into the same building. Actually, it's pretty plausible in terms of, you know, even 40-some conventions, right? Because you have to have some line of connection between different characters. Otherwise, the narratology just falls apart. You can't just... Unless, uh, obviously, we're talking about, you know, a Raymond Chandler, William Falker pen script where they're just like, all right, fuck continuity. Uh, (laughs) He drove that car off the bridge who... The guy who was never on camera. He did it? Yeah. Thank you, William Faulkner. Um, yeah. That was one of those big ones. Not the multi-falcon, but uh, the big fleet. Uh, the five-second yeah, version. No, I, love, I love that movie. I love that movie. I can't help myself. Um, but it makes no sense. Never try to make sense of it. you only break well, the brain. I, and I read the book written years later, and it's like a different... Uh, the book is a lot more traditional, but the book is actually kind of weird, too. Well, the book but is anyway, weird, sorry. but the thing is, William Faulkner wrote the screenplay based on the Raymond Chandler novel. So you have this whole different level of, like, intervening weird. Yeah. who never wanted you to know anything. My mom is a fish, right? That the, you can quote me on that, Faulkner fans. Uh, that's what the Faulkner wrote. Mm. But um, this whole sort of weirdness. But most noir doesn't work that way. Most of it does introduce characters who have definitive connections to other characters. That, that way later there's at least a plausibility to the reappearance and or, you know, recognition scene of them as being the ultimate or, or the all along. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Or either that or they're going to get married and, and live happily ever after. That's one of the two things. She's either hitting on her or she's a spy. Well, we could go that other American on her way. We could and go the Gertrude spy. Steinway. Yeah, I'm all for that. Let, let, Agent, let her and Agent Carter get married. Because they have the whole passive-aggressive thing going on now. Um, fine, you don't want to stay at home tonight? Okay. Like, yeah, let them get married. Oh, you know, Gertrude Stein, Alice B. Toklas, we're in the right period? Mm-hmm. Okay, we're uh, a little bit later than that. <laughs> a little bit late. It, yeah, a little uh, bit late. But I mean, it's good to I would be I would be happy with that. I mean, that's, 
one of the things that we don't have in the Marvel Universe yet. It's sort of a real sort of strong LGBT presence. Um, well, they had a character in S.H.I.E.L.D. that killed her. Wait, wait. Hey, this is what I'm talking about, about S.H.I.E.L.D. Being they had her. Hand. They had Victoria Hand in the comics as uh, uh, lesbian. Thing. Yeah, and yeah. I think they hinted at that in the TV show, and then they wound up killing her, which I still am pissed about them doing that because I thought she could have been such an amazing character. Yeah, but um, it really is sort of a straight summer camp right now in the, in the Marvel movie yeah. and TV universe. Um, and as good as they've been with sort of race and, 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 and such, they they haven't been with gender and sexuality. And Oh, yeah, that, no, so and they're not... And television does stuff like that and doesn't actually actualize it. It just gives fans something to hook on to. And then they never plan on actually having it happen in the show. Okay, but remember, again, Marvel Universe is being run by Joss Whedon, who he did bring us Tara and Willow, which, come on, you cried when Tara... Yeah, I, I know, I did. But, I, I, I mean, Whedon has always been, obviously, sort of an ally. If, if a... Yes. You know, and and so I I can see him introducing some element of that, and and it would be it would be interesting to see it with Agent Carter. Although now I now that I'm saying that it might seem a little too conventional. Of course, that ass kicking bull dyke is a lesbian. Yeah, that might not be the best way to do it. Oh um, come on, no, she's it's fine. But um, uh oh, well that's actually interesting too to talk about is the situ the situations where Agent Carter is kicking ass. Um. So her fight scenes, a lot of closed quarters fight scenes. Um, the fight scene in her apartment was interesting because it's very much grounded in like this is what like a single woman's apartment has in it. This is a limited space. This is the stove. This is the coffee pot. Like it was pretty perfect in that way. Um, that was that was the best fight scene. But although the the fight scene in the um, in the uh, in the in the boat hold with the pipes and stuff, was pretty tense, too. But I like the specificity of her apartment fight. Well, and and that's sort of like a, how do you put it, you know, a pissing contest among directors. Like, I'm going to put you in a two-by-two little room and you have two people and make an engaging fight scene from it, right? Like, that's actually, I think that brings out the best of directors when when they're really limited into what they do. And so, you know, I mean, okay, the, the, the penultimate example of this would be uh, uh, Old Boy, right? Where you put a guy in a hallway and he starts with a broom, ends with a, you know, and, but you don't cut away, like, just really sort of making the characters have to be creative as, as to how they fight in this very limited space with very limited sort of tools at their disposal. Um, and I think they did really good there. Uh, some of the more... Uh, Open-ended scenes. I, I haven't been that big of a fan of. Um, although I do like the fact I, I have enjoyed James Frain. What's his name? James Frain. Um, mm-hmm. cur- the curly-haired guy uh, keeps on putting the uh, cigarette thing to his, his throat. He was in the BBC oh, series. Yeah. The, the, that guy from all those things. He he's sort mm-hmm. of creepy Jewish-looking. Um, and people are really going to call me an anti-Semite tomorrow. Yeah, well, everyone people. on the show is Jewish. Just for the record, guys, listeners, everyone on the show is Jewish. I will recite it's my Hoff Torah portion for you so. if you want. But um, 
<laughs> but but you know I I, I even I, I didn't like even when they were in the big sort of I guess it's the first episode where second where they're in the the big factory and there's a fight scene right and she's like hiding and then there's the fight. that didn't work for me but the close quarters uh, have worked for me and and actually. It's not a fight scene, but I think it was sort of the most interestingly filmed one. It, it's her crawling through the desk in the second episode um, as she's trying to be unnoticed, right? And again, it, it deals with confined spaces and, and how the body moves in them. But I really liked that as she was trying to like open, you know, use you know spy tools to get into the drawer, and then being noticed, the phone rings, and the that was very sort of playfully Hitchcockian. Um, mm-hmm. And 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 I think that's a vibe that that the series should go for. Is I don't know if that's actually a thing. Playfully hits cocky in, but if, if it wasn't, yeah, then for real. Make it one. Um, it, that, it's tense, but sort of comedic. Um, and and I really, I, God damn it! Now now, you know, whatever hour into the show, me is contradicting what minute into the show me was saying. <laughs> Fine, I like it. It's a learning journey. It's a learning journey <laughs> that we're having together. We begin in one place and we leave in a different one. It's the transformative power of the podcast and my magnetic personality. <laughs> I didn't realize I was in for a teachable moment. Um. It's not just you. She pulls this shit with me all the time. <laughs> all right. Um, one thing I wanted to mention about the show that, that – Absolutely blows my mind. Um, I was, for research for something else, I was looking up um, ratings of old X-Files TV shows today. Uh, because, you know, they're bringing it back now with, apparently, Maybe. Gillian Anderson. And Whoa. Maybe. They got blown out of proportion. I I have heard things that, makes me, that make me think that it has not been blown out of proportion. Um, yeah, I, I'm taking that as the usual hy- hyperbolic clickbait that's going around the internet. Because they've been talking, they talked okay, about well, bringing that back like last year, but that's beside the point. Okay, well, the stuff I heard wasn't clickbait, but, um... Oh, all right. Um, <laughs> I, I, I've heard things from people who who would be involved in it that seem to indicate that, that ah. this is going to happen um, probably as a limited series uh, in, in, in the form of something like Hannibal. Um uh-huh where it's it's dedicated to one case. So it's longer than a movie, which they don't want to make again because they don't make good ones. But um, nope. anyway, I was looking up ratings for, for, for old ones, and uh, I noticed it because you know, one of the things I do is I, I do look at the ratings for all the TV shows this week, and Agent Carter was considered a failure this week um, in, in its ratings. Um, uh, it only had 5.1 million people watching it which, on the one hand, blows my mind, because that actually sounds like a success in sort of the modern, balkanized TV environment. 5.1 million, that's great. But uh, the episode of The X-Files I was looking at, uh, Jose Chimes from Outer Space, which is obviously one of the best episodes of The X-Files, but nobody knew that when they started watching it, right? And uh, I don't know the show well enough to have an opinion on that, sorry. Probably the greatest standalone episode of The X-Files, but again, no one knew that when they sat down to watch it. It was just... Which episode? Uh, Jose Chung from Outer Space. It's the one that begins with the uh, fake alien abduction. Um, it's a uh, Darren Morgan wrote it, uh, uh, Rob Bowman directed. It's 
it's basically a, a sort of Don Quixote version. They're hearing about uh, uh, Whitley Stryber type, uh, you know, communion alien abduction, and they're constantly casting doubt on it. Uh, I think I remember that the one, episode. Yeah. Yeah, it, but the thing is, is that you know, the X Files was constantly in danger of being canceled every single week, right? You know, it was like, oh, they might not show next week and whatever. That episode, uh, you know, in the middle of the third season, you know, no real hype or anything, 22 million viewers. And it was sort of a failure. This episode of Agent Carter, 5.1 million viewers, in a, in, and again, in a balkanized TV environment, being considered kind of a failure. One, just the difference between then and now in terms of genre TV. Mm-hmm. Also, you know, five point like on a on a Tuesday night. Yeah. Right. How how is this? Does that include the the only, playback. And that's not including the playback. Uh, the playback. Uh, okay. Oh Jesus Christ! It had a. I think it has like a 2.8, 2.9 playback, um, a rating playback with the DVR, which adds another like four or five million people. Um, I'm doing this math off the top of my head, and my uh, I'm I'm a doctor of English, so uh, yeah, I don't even <laughs> don't try. I have other people to have math do math for me. Yeah, but, my husband but, just laughed because he's one of those people. Um, but yeah, so you're saying that there's been a real change in how the and in, in how what's considered a successful show and what expectations are for genre television. And this show is doing phenomenal, and even in the yeah. new TV environment. And I mean, I sort of brought up the Excel thing uh, just because uh, as a way to compare, but also to demonstrate that even in the new environment. I mean, obviously it's no Modern Family or or the Goldbergs, you know, but doing incredibly well and it's just a miniseries. Right. And exactly. I think that's something that 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 we should kind of consider really encouraging because Marvel just like shunted a bunch of stuff to Netflix. And I know that you know there's a new model and stuff but I think you know I have an odd feeling that that Agent Carter will end its run Agents of Shield will come back and then we're going to get a couple of like marathons of all these new Marvel shows. Like, hmm. you know, three-night event. You know, the three-night Daredevil event. The three-night Iron Fist event, right? Before the new... Because these shows are actually proving to be quite successful. Um, yep. And so... And and I'm, I'm going on my notes here, so I, I apologize for what uh, I thought an hour ago. But um hour ago, me was about to say that even though the show <laughs> isn't up to Marvel standards, it's still generating that kind of interest. Um, yeah, but I also think it's because there's a need. Like, there aren't... Fem- the, the fact that Peggy is the protagonist and not just a really cool character who's, like, a friend is so important to the show. Um, you know, there's a lot of shows that have increasingly large numbers of, like, impo- you know, really interesting, worthy female characters in them, but they're not the protagonist like this in sort of an action property that has really any kind of tie-in to, like, Marvel... You know, I think that that just changes everything. Having her, it would, having it would her be really funny, though, if they didn't show her. 
<laughs> yeah, and it would be very typical. Oh, but, but then it really, you know, Brett and I were talking about how the comic book that came out, which should have been called Agent Carter, was called Operation Sin, which means nothing. You know, as I said on our last show, like my brother was like, oh, I love Agent Carter, the show. How come they're not doing a comic with her? And I told him, like, well, they are. It's just not called Agent Carter. And he's like, why? Because they're, are they idiots? Like, I mean, that's pretty much it. Like, they don't have faith that people will buy something that has a woman's name in the lead, I guess. Like, she'd be canceling She-Hulk or something. To well, I mean, the audience for comics is different from TV. You'd think they'd be better with branding, but I could, I could see why. I, th- I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't have the, the numbers for comics, so I shouldn't say that. I just assume that most comic readers are people like like I was I'm at that age, and I was not the enlightened feminist I am today. Um, it's gotten better. You know, I, I, I have improved with time. I'm like a fine one. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I mean, exactly. Like, there's, there's, you know, it's not that, and also just like, that, what, what is it, what's so compelling about calling something Operation Sin that doesn't even mean anything? Like, I don't care about, like, original sin. People have forgotten that that happened already. And anybody who knows what original sin is, like, is already buying 50 comics. So they don't really, I don't know. I just think it's really stupid in the lost opportunity. Not to, to put that in the forefront. No, I I agree. Uh, I I was also very happy to hear that uh, Black Widow was going to be back in the next Captain America movie. <laughs> I had assumed Sorry. that, and I was like, well, of course so. I mean, wasn't wasn't that always the case? And I guess not. But well, well, it was just the announcement that the fact that they made Marvel made a big announcement that she'd be back in the next Captain America movie. As opposed to you know, I don't know. I think part of yeah, that something would like people given Scarlett Johansson her own movie. I mean. I mean, granted, it's not like she can really carry one on her own or anything. Um, yeah, no, no one likes her whatsoever. Yeah. yeah I was it's saying, not I, uh, or anything. I'm convinced part of that was because people were, uh, the rumor mill was churning that she was going to get killed off, and pitchforks were starting to form. Out if they did. Yeah, yeah. So I, I, my gut says that Marvel did that to get people to to not flip out beforehand. Yeah, it would be good if they could build up more trust with fans like that by doing things that are trustworthy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I have some that, well, um, I'm sorry, go on. This is so micro, but it's, I'm going to going through my notes for the show to make sure I got in the things I wanted to be sure to get in. And we haven't even talked about the history piece, really, other than about the reality of, yes, those boarding house existed. Um, I, one, of the, one of my little points that I hadn't, brought up actually was I when she's deactivating that implosion device in her apartment and like earlier they're saying, Oh, you can only deactivate it with this chemical and that chemical and who's gonna have that lying around? And I'm sitting here at my table and I'm looking at my nail polish remover and I'm thinking, I wonder if that's in my nail polish remover. I hope Peggy Carter debilitates the implosion device with her nail polish remover because that would be amazing. Um and it was different household chemicals, but it really should have been her nail polish remover. Uh, that was a oh god. Uh, I'll reveal myself to be a different kind of nerd. Uh, whenever they started saying that, all I could think of was like, yeah, put put those directions in a room with Alton Brown, and I'm sure he would be able to, you know, the the Goody Food Network guy who Alton Brown, the Goody Food Network guy who who yeah, he's sort of like Food MacGyver. He knows what's in all of it. I was just like, yeah, I'm sure he'll be able to use it. I didn't go to nail polish, but I went to a... But yours makes much more sense, which is 
and then you know the show sort of bore that out that that these are not common chemicals, but um, there's something that she has enough training to be able to. Did you? Okay. So, so the one thing to talk about the other Alias show, which I think this sh- the other Alias, right? Not not the Marvel one, but the J.J. Uh-huh. Abrams, which this show obviously I think is indebted to, and in, in its look, yeah. and its pacing, and its style. I want a Marshall. I mean, that's the thing I'm missing. I'm missing Marshall. Um, and I can remember him. Mean, he was sort of the, the cue of, of of the original Alias. Um, because at a certain point, it's going to get unbelievable that Agent Carter just knows all these things. Um, you know, because... That she just knows what? Well, that she, she just knows all these things. That she knows the chemical composition of all of these different things. That she also knows, you know, all of these different kind of spy techniques, how to follow someone, how to, you know, erase your tracks, how to... There, there's a point at which she... If they're not careful, she's going to turn... Okay, so one of the things Whedon did brilliantly, obviously, in Buffy, is that he made her a very flawed character. She knew her limitations, and she always ran for help to the right people. She, you know, was very team-based, as, as the Avengers film is, right? You know, mm-hmm. Whedon's always about how one person is never enough. You always um, yeah. But, you know, th- this could turn into sort of like a Natty Bumpkin thing. The uh, the main character in Last of the Mohicans is not in the movie version of Last of the Mohicans. But uh, he was the guy who could, like, you know, track a cannonball through a river by the way that the, you know, the the ball rolled through the river and didn't get erased through the footprint. It, it, it just becomes implausible at a certain point that she could be all of these things. Um. And I think I can I can sort of foresee a backlash. Like, you know, I can see conservatives on Twitter saying they're trying too hard with the patient harder character. Make her all things to all people. And so one of the reasons that Jarvis is necessary, not it's not as a male crutch, but just as a sort of narrative crutch. Mm-hmm. You know in a way that no one's ever gonna say, like, well, that Bruce Wayne guy, he's never gonna cut it on his own. He needs a of course, though, in the comics, you know, he doesn't, but um, in the films, at least. Mm-hmm. Uh, That's right. She, Yeah, she but is in danger. I don't think it's going to be a problem. I don't think it's going to be a problem. I don't think it's not realistic, but it's not realistic that someone as tiny as she is can fight a guy as big as she did. But, you know, movies don't ever want to have any woman who's actually muscular depicted, so that's what we get, and we just smile and nod and we keep going. Well, yeah. I, again, it's more the. Hmm. Okay, remember when you were when we were growing up and we were watching MacGyver and it was like, wow, every week he comes up with a totally different knowledge of a totally different field of science and is able to <laughs> apply it in the field. And that was so awesome when you were a kid. And then when you like went back and tried to watch it on Netflix like last year, not saying this actually happened to anyone, but no, no. you just sort of yeah, you just sort of watch it like oh. What? Huh? No. He needs like a team of scientists. And that's like that's totally a cool thing to have. A team of scientists. I fucking wish I had one of those every day of my life. I'm trying to make coffee. I need a team <laughs> of scientists. Right? But there there's a point at which the plausibility will be stretched with her. If they try to turn her too much into a fe- and, and I'm just trying I'm not actually saying these things, I'm trying to anticipate future Conservative. But you can't anticipate the them. They, 
don't even try anticipating them. They're crazy and not worth engaging with. Oh, but it's my day job. I have to, like, anticipate what stupid conservatives will say and then try to but find examples of them having said it. That's true about <laughs> politics. That's true about politics, but I don't think it's necessary about entertainment because we're just sort of like Let me tell you about John Nolte, the entertainment editor at Breitbart News. Um, <laughs> no, I, I, I really don't God. want to tell you about him. But, I mean, He's a very the, scary guy. I mean, taking a more modern example, there's the Jack Bauer thing where he, there was always something for him to use at the last minute to solve whatever issue he has. It wasn't quite like MacGyver, but there was always like some mechanism there for him to, to get out of whatever it, you know situation and problem. And it got and, a little silly after like whatever the fourth or fifth season. And it's, it's only silly because we're going for plausible. On Doctor Who, it works fine because, you know... That's the show. We have no plausibility. Yeah, we have no plausibility problem. I mean, the Doctor's yeah. like, oh, yeah, well, uh, um, and then there you go. Or he has a Donna Noble. That, that's my favorite like thing for him to have, Donna Noble. But, um, all right, so I added myself on that one. But, yeah, I mean, it, it works in that regard, but, but on shows that are aiming, and, and the Marvel Universe obviously despite all the Tesseract thing, he's aiming for a kind of plausibility, especially in shows like that. Um, you know, Red Skull's gone, yada, yada, but the technology has to be... Oh, that does it, though? I mean, I, 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 now I'm just arguing with myself, because we have the whole inhuman thing, what happened at the end of this episode. Um, yeah, I don't watch Marvel, Marvel Agents of blah, blah. So... It's gotten better. Really? It's gotten much better. It's really yeah. good. Mm. I mean, it's... It... it Yeah. I, I don't know what else to say. It's gotten really good. Um, the second uh, season's much stronger than the first. Yes. People call that to me about... About and Arrow. Green Arrow. Even yes. though it's catchy. But I've, catchy as hell. I've, I've, I've never seen a show that that was going in one direction and then just literally hit a button and exploded into the entire universe in a way that made complete sense and connected it to, to you know, things going on literally on the opposite side of the universe in, in, in a second in a way that, that didn't feel forced or, or you know, manipulated. Which is all of a sudden, of course, this is all of a piece. Um, but... Uh, so what do we think? Uh, will Nick Fury be white or black on Agent Carter? I don't think they can have him. I think they can't. They can't do. I mean, <laughs> if they have him, it'll be like white Nick Fury, and then like Samuel L. Jackson is like carrying on his legacy or something. But I don't expect that they'll have Nick Fury. I hope that they have some of the Howling Commandos show up because the show's too white, and even the Howling Commandos brought some diversity there. And the Howling Commandos actually appear with Agent Carter in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. In right, the and, and I'm fully expecting that by the time Agent Carter ends, it will have tied into those scenes in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. I think that's where the series is going. Yes, with creepy-ass what's-his-name from Homicide as the, uh, he played the creepy detective in Homicide, he's now the creepy Nazi in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Uh, Kellerman, oh, the character Yeah, oh, wow, Keller... Oh, he's in Agents of yeah. S.H.I.E.L.D.? Yeah. He plays the big bad in Agents 
Why do I always talk about homicide every time I talk to you? Because homicide's the best. Because that show, (laughs) everything revolves around it now. Yes. Yeah. Um, But, okay, so so my favorite fan theory that um, it's possible I came up with, uh, because I did, uh, and it's actually pretty stupid, but I, I sort of was trying to introduce it via the doctor thing earlier. Wouldn't it be awesome if Nick Fury was a white guy in Agent Shield, or uh, sorry, Agent Carter? If there are multiple Nick Furies, because they, in some way, they have to address that continuity problem, right? Well, I mean, what if he's a white guy during World War II, and then? But- that's what they do with the comic. The comic was he just had a, a kid that was really Nick Fury Jr. And in the 616, they flipped it over to more Samuel L. Jackson, Nick Fury. Well, yeah, I know. But, I mean, what if it's not like... I, I, I sort of didn't like the kid thing. I, I, post, I, mean, I thought it was completely like a position, A post, right? You know? Yeah, that's... Like, you're that's breeder general, you're a three-star general, or you're Nick Fury. Oh, I... I got promoted to Nick Fury? Yeah, I think it's a title. It's like Thor that, now. It's too cool to be real. Wouldn't that be awesome? They're never going to do it. I think Nick, yeah, Nick Fury is a title. It's like Thor. It's not a name. It's a title. Yeah, exactly. He can be a horse. Um, <laughs> a space horse. Um, uh, yeah, no, I, I just... I just wanted to. I, I that was the. That's actually that's literally the last note I have in this, which is Nick Fury is the Doctor. Um, <laughs> just the title. Uh, we. I, I feel bad because uh, my co-host for my Game of Thrones podcast, Stephen Attawell, was going to be with us tonight, but he is very ill, so he's listening at home. Oh, that's right. Uh, we probably our, like cursing plan. us for not mentioning all of the great. Th- point he made in the notes that he sent us. Um, so You're I right, feel we like should he, share some of that. Yes. Um, well, he wanted to talk about Operation Paperclip, which was, you know, the, you know, bringing all the Nazis in, although, again, that has more to do with Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. now at this point, and I think it does Agent Carter. Um, I don't want to even touch Captain America. He is the expert in that. Um, Put the yeah. link up to his his uh, essay uh, that he posted originally on Lawyers, Guns, and Money about that, which is just a fucking touchstone. It's just it's brilliant. We, yeah, we talk about that episode, that that article all the time on Graphic Policy Radio, the amazing piece by Adewale about Captain America, like and the New Deal. It's that. It's just like it's it's mind blowingly good. And uh, uh, people who are progressive and like comics, i.e., everyone listening to my podcast, probably have to read this essay. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's a great essay. Um, Let me see and if I can find it and I can tweet anyone, it. Yeah. Uh, I actually haven't read it. I just posted it under my own name on before we brought a Mondelares Guns of Money, and I was like, ah, I'm sure it's smart. But no, I'm kidding. I read it. I read it. I read it. I wouldn't post anything under my name unless I actually vetted it. Maybe. Uh, no. So Operation uh, Paperclip, you're bringing in Nazis. Okay. I'm not going to talk about Captain yeah. America. But I speaking of Operation Paperclip, like notice like interesting names of the uh various baddies and everybody's the Laranoctomy. I was wondering if there was some sort of Laranoctomy time period specific thing, but apparently I couldn't find any particular World War Two Laranoctomy connection. Do you know of anything like that? 
I I don't. Um, I mean, obviously there are lots of connections with, with the space program, but that you know, obviously Marvel's more interested in the occult. Uh, yeah. Aspects and most of those people, I I don't think were important enough to make it out of Germany. Oh, I'm, I'm sorry. I mean, they all end up in Brazil, and you know, yeah, funds of Adolf Hitler and. Yeah, um, I, they end up as um, Krieger on Archer. It's all connected. Krieger on Archer. No one. Krieger on Archer is a clone of Hitler. Oh, well, oh, Jesus Christ! Yes, okay. I was thinking Arrow. I have my head in Arrow. I'm going to Dallas Comic Con next oh, weekend. Oh, Archer. Yeah, inter- no, different, different kind yeah. of Archer. Yeah. Yeah, I get to interview all the, the Arrow people, so I was trying to think of, like, good Arrow questions for last week. And, um, uh, and by the way, if any of you have good questions to ask the cast of Arrow, please send me an email, and I will ask them and take credit for coming up with them. Uh, but, yes, Archer. You can see why I got those confused. That's, that's perfectly, mm-hmm. perfectly natural. They're identical in tone. Um, ah. No, I can't think of anything. Brett, you seem to have been quite... I feel like we should get more out of you. Um, oh, I, I've just been kind of tweeting up stuff and trying to do that aspect of it, so uh, I've been somewhat distracted. I posted the article that we were referencing, so that's out there. <laughs> well, well, he does all the work. And we just, <laughs> um, I mean, was there any other... I mean, I've basically, I've, I've, I've gone through my notes and, and have already decided to disagree with myself. Um, well, the other show really covers like... women getting displaced from the workforce, you know, but um, Adderall also pointed out that women were not as displaced from the workforce as the story goes. Women, upon the returning of GIs, were pushed out of all the good union jobs and construction, but they were just, they still continued to work, but just in sort of pink-collar ghetto jobs, like secretarial work and nursing and things like that. Well, and, so, and a lot of the men... To, to disagree with some of what he said in the email that he sent us, uh, uh, a lot of them didn't just get into pink-collar jobs. A lot of them actually kept their manufacturing jobs because uh, returning GIs took advantage of the GI Bill and actually and went to college. And the college while they worked. Yes, right. while, while they continued to work. And so a, a lot of these women, by the time uh, their future husbands had, had finished their time in service and their time in college, already had 10, 12 years on-the-job experience. And they were kept. Um, and so, uh, I'm trying to remember the name of the book, but there's a great book on women in the labor movement in the 1960s uh, by University of Chicago sociology or sociologist, and I'm not remembering it, but I will, and then I'll send a oh, link to it. Oh, I know what book you mean. Yeah, yeah, okay. But it's, it, it, it's, a, it's a great book about how, how a lot of the, the changes that, to organized labor that that were resisted by the old guard labor actually came from the fact that that women had ascended to these positions of power, which if you know anything about you know and, and I'm not trying to disparage labor, but if you if you know anything about organized labor, it, it 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 sometimes closely resembles the mob. Once you are ensconced in a position of power, it's impossible to take it away from you except by force. And um, No, I don't I... I, I, I don't want to – I'm not disparaging labor in any way, shape, or form. I think it's like business then would be a fairer comparison since it's not 
actually illegal. Um, but there are no like there's no way to get like fifty percent of the board to buy you out and I mean these positions once earned were entrenched. Um and and that had a good effect. It, it, obviously I'm talking about a comp a complex situation that I'm not trying to you know, say women in labor bad and you know, mafia bad it, it's just it, it's sort of how how it was and it had a but what, you know, well, women, the women primarily played a role in reform. Yes. Um, but because they were so entrenched and because of the pre-existing structure of labor unions at that point, once they were in those positions, it was very difficult to take them out because they had so much power and they could wield it. Um, and again, I'm not saying this is an anti-union person. I'm not an anti-union yeah. person. Yeah. Uh, in fact, I still think it's weird. I haven't belonged but to a union in two years. But they were able to protect the jobs for women, like because they were in a position where they could contribute to that. Well, they were they were able to protect jobs for everyone. I mean, they were they were good labor enforcers, which is why they continued to get support in their, you know, in their, at, you know, local unions, um, and why they continued to get elected. And but but their power was entrenched, and it was a good thing. Ah, I'm gonna. I hope my advisor is not listening to this podcast because he's probably throwing books at the wall and yelling at me for not remembering the name of the book. I know you recommended it. Shut up. Uh, okay, two people I need to tag on a Facebook post. For this. But basically, um, being that basically the point of being that like the idea that all women were forced out of these jobs is not true. But it exactly. was great to see the show talk about how that did happen. Um. And um, like depicting that like right up front in the story, and her own life with Peggy Carter is depicting that as well. You know, she was needed in the war. Now they're deciding that her role will be better played by a man. And they they sort of assume that she was you know a romantic companion to Captain America, and that's why that's the only reason she had a role. Yeah, yeah, had any interest uh, uh, to him as opposed to being sort of a vital part. And and they did a good job in the pilot. Sort of pointing out how crucial she was to the you know mythologization yeah. of Captain America, right? Of, of turning him from a person into a myth, um, at least in terms of the, in the film terms, with the you know yeah. him going down again, you know, replaying that part from the end of the the first Captain America movie, um, right? So. Uh, that's all. That's all I've got, <laughs> which is a lot. Um, we keep going to like an hour and a half, and I know the first time you invited me on, y'all were like, "Yeah, forty-five minutes," and I just feel like I'm a bad end. We we always seem to go long, but it's all good. I, I yeah, said I'm fine with long that. For a reason. There's a lot to talk about. But the, in, in conclusion, everyone. So listen to this is already probably already watches the show, but I, I encourage you guys to evangelize it to your friends. I think it's very approachable for people who aren't comic people, um, especially your female friends. I I I would agree with that I I don't discriminate amongst my friends. Though. Oh my God, Brett, you've been tweeting this whole time. Sorry, I just looked at my yeah. No um All my female trying to friends engage with my people. Tweet. I've been, I, I tweet too during the show. We actually got um, Genius Bastard, who's amazing, um, 
said the waitress says argues that the waitress rear-ended and shot the SSR agent and the witness slash prisoner. I'm positive, he says. I I, one, I thought it was uh, I thought I don't think it's the waitress. I think it was uh, uh, what's her name? Um, Dotty. Uh, the yeah, woman who's introduced for like Dotty. I don't know. Yeah. yeah, she's there for two seconds, and all of a sudden someone gets killed by a tall woman with hair like hers, um, which would be well, very much in keeping with the noir, you know. You saw what you saw—the hair of the shooter. Oh no, no, I didn't see. No, I, I didn't. I, not not to spoil anything. She's, on, she's yeah. back in a few episodes, so there's a possibility of that. Yeah, she's I'll in episode five, six, and seven, so. There's, I would say, a good chance. Well, uh, I I should probably get going because otherwise I'll say things that'll make me sound stupid. No, we're good. Um, (laughs) Well, thank you again for joining us. Yeah. Um, Plug time. Plug plug things. Again, uh, invite me back anytime. I absolutely love this podcast. It's so much easier than doing my own and inviting y'all on, which I will totally do one day. I will totally do. Um, I'm going to be on your show to talk about. I'm going to be on your podcast to talk about uh, the Game of Thrones um, IMAX, Michigan. Yes. Um, As soon as I get all that set up and back together and all that difficult technical stuff was on a computer that's dead so I gotta remake all that but as soon as I do yes we will have you all on to talk about Game of Thrones and um, IMAX and all that stuff and I will return the favor by hosting you in a unreal place that people listen to it, um, it's all her I know shit about Game of Thrones <laughs> yeah he doesn't do Game of Thrones no we have a rule hey, like, he does, like, like Brett does like ro- Brett does like fighting robots and I do like people with swords. Like, that's sort of like the division of labor in our genre, our genre coverage, generally speaking. Which was, I found the, I found the one strange example. What's that? I'm sorry, what was that? We'll invite you on to the tweeting. I I can do that. I can do that. Yeah, yeah. I can't. I'm terrible at tweeting. I was supposed to say, I found the one example, Alana would appreciate it, the one example where I actually like fantasy over um, sci-fi. And a really weird thing. We were talk. I was talking to about video games with my wife, and she brought up how she was a StarCraft player, and I was like, "No, I actually like Warcraft over StarCraft," which was like the one instance where uh, I prefer fantasy over sci-fi. And she just looked at me, and I was like, "Yeah, it's weird." Totally off funny. topic. Anyway, right next week we'll be back, <laughs> um, and that's that. We'll be back next week with, uh, I don't actually know what our theme is next week, but we'll get back to you about that. Yeah, we'll figure that out. We've got out. some good episodes coming up, guys. We'll be talking with the, with the creators of the Humans comic. Really excited. And we have yes. a special Doctor Who-themed episode um, where we will make people who don't really read comics uh, and who like Doctor Who read Doctor Who comics and tell us what they think. I know. I'm going to be fascinated oh, you on that me back to that one. Make me read, make me read Doctor Who comics. But here, you see, I'm doing it again. I'm horning in already. <laughs> Shut me in. I know I actually, about Dr. Who, but I've never read Dr. Who comments, so. Interesting. Oh, we need to, we'll get, we need to get you in the, those in your hands so you can 
so we can get your opinion on it because I think that would be interesting, really interesting. Ooh, can yeah. I call in? I want to be a caller in this time. Like I, I just you're calling in now. Cranky. Well, I know, but I was like, we're all part calling in. Well, I bet I, I want to be like a real like you know prank. You, you want, not in a prank caller, but you know, yeah, Scott from Sheboygan. Uh, I'll be from Sheboygan. Um, hmm. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll quit. I'll quit inter- interrupting your outro. I'm sorry. No, it's all right. it's yeah, everybody. Everybody is really. By the way, the internet is really on board with Nick Fury as a title. Yeah. Can we just make that up now? Are we like the first people to establish that? Oh, I'm. I'm watching the retweets, and I think it's hilarious that out of everything, this is what's taken off. Yeah. And let's just start making up shit and putting it out there and see what catches and what's not. I like this one. Uh, so yeah, so as we're doing the outro, so Scott, where else can folks find you regularly if they want to uh, follow you elsewhere? Uh, they can find me at the Raw Story. They can find me writing for uh, the AV Club. I have my own film school there, the Internet Film School. I will have a new column up on Tuesday, uh, January 27th, about how Divergent is the worst film in the history of mankind. Um, it's one people have been clamoring for. Uh, they have. wanted me to stop analyzing films and really just light into one. So I, I, I'm sort of a viewer choice column. Uh, I also write for Lori's Guns and Money at acephalus.com. Uh, I'm sure I have other jobs. I just don't remember right now. Uh, I'll remind you whenever I do my taxes. <laughs> and always, as always, thanks for coming on the show. We, we love having you. and It's an open invite. Um, I always think it's a fascinating conversation. Um, so thank you. I and love being here. I appreciate it. And for everyone listening, thank you as always. Uh, you can catch us every single day at Graphic Policy and follow us on Twitter, Facebook, etc. All at Graphic Policy. And if you like the live thing, uh, Comic Extravaganza has been growing and been doing a great job on Wednesday. It's a great show with uh, also a very diverse group of folks talking about comics. So check it out. It's a live stream. You can catch a link on our site and uh, interact with them as well. So, uh, yeah, our, our growing... Uh, amount of stuff on the site. Uh, as always, thanks. I am Brett. I'm Ilana. Keep it geeky.